Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. How are you this fine 4th of January 2024, our first, our first podcast after the brand new year. I hope your new year was safe, happy, healthy, and fun, filled with great memories and hope for the days ahead. Mine certainly has been and will be and continues to be. Uh, as I record this, I am in St. Bart's, a uh, little tiny island in the Caribbean. Just, uh, you know, uh, uh, unduly uh, extending my vacation. Uh, and just just uh, really just soaking it all up. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, in that spirit, because there are beaches to get to and there's no Wi-Fi on that beach, uh, I am going to... Um, I'm going to go ahead and just get this get the show on the road, my friends. There's a lot of cool stuff to talk about. It's a brand new year, and we'll certainly get into it. Uh, but uh, for now, my friends, I had a great conversation right before the holiday started uh, with my buddy Lee Capelli. He's on my uh, well, not my team. He's on the team that I'm on uh, uh, at Broadcom, um, and he talks. Whereas I spend my days talking to people about spring, he spends his days talking to people about Kubernetes and YAML and operations and uh, continuous delivery. And, all that good stuff. We are a yin and yang, if you think about it. And uh, he's just a, a generally um, uh, a YAML person is a YAML person. You know, he's just a really, really, really gifted engineer with a, a vast repertoire of tricks, tidbits, and things like that. I think he's been on the show before. He's just, a, he's just a great guest, and I really appreciate the chance to talk to him. So my friends, uh, take it easy. Have a great week. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy this episode with me. Uh, I just, it's just great. He's a friend of uh, my, my partner and mine as well. He's been so good to all of us. So uh, enjoy my friends. Happy New Year. See you next week. Uh, munched on some uh, fun comments here from the Java nerd himself and uh, and a cloud native. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're you're a cloud native, and and you're you're presently. Uh, in 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 God's country, right? Hawaii. Uh, is this God's country? Yeah. It's where you go so. when you die. If you're good, yeah, you get to go yeah. to Hawaii. <laughs> if you're good. Yeah, if you're good. No, no, it's very important. If you're bad, I must be on you the go to another place. Trial, you know? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like oh, Hawaii. I love Hawaii so much. I don't I, like. I can't believe it's a. Uh, you know, it's technically it's part of America. So, like, if you're American and you can get on a plane, and it's not cheap. I know not everybody can do it, but if you can get to it. Just do it. Trust me. There's no other state it's like it. It's a bit of a swim. Yeah, I do recommend the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and don't do what I saw some kid, some idiot got in the plane in the hole. Don't do that. Oh, yeah. Inside of, uh, inside of the wheel. Yeah, yeah, or something like that. Some crazy thing where it's like, it's a five-hour flight. It's, a, it's not close. It's as far from California as New York is from California. And nobody thinks about that as being like a quick day trip, you know? Uh, but but yeah, worth it. Just get on a plane, sit normal like a regular person. That's important. Inside, and go to Hawaii. And find a turtle. Don't get close to them though. You're supposed to stay within, stay without two meters or something. I don't know what it's like. Check the local laws, but there's a distance. Wait, where's your audio? Where's my audio? I had your audio for a second ago. Can you hear me? Can't hear you at all. Is it my thing? No, it looks like it's still AirPods. Here, how about this one right here? Oh, yes, I can hear. Woo-hoo. 
Okay. Be able to hear me now. Yes. Yeah. So Good. Sorry about that. Two. Wow, but I can barely hear you. I think I think it's my Bluetooth headphones like wigging out. One second. You've got Bluetooth headphones on. Try talk, Josh. Yeah. Morning, Marco Polo. Ali Ali Oxenfree. I see. Okay. Cool. This is working. Okay. I just wait. All right. And then, and you can hear me still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's important. Okay. Cool. Otherwise, it's just <laughs> talking to a microphone. Anyway, so you were saying something insightful and wise, and I I didn't hear you. So start again. Oh yeah, did you ever get in into your seat uh, on the airplane, and they've got those funky international plugs, right? And it's like this this beautiful interface of interoperability, right? Because oh it's right, got right right like the U.S. plug, multitude. It's got the Australia plug. It's got the U.K. square things. It's got the circles for the EU ones. It's got like a, a bunch of different places for you to plug things in, and you kind of don't know what orientation. So right. you got to go look down there, and you got your phone flashlight out, and you're like kind of oh. looking, and and you finally figure out how to how to stick the power brick into this universal interface yeah and and the, of course your macbook charger it weighs like 20 pounds so, so it it's these two little u.s prongs right right and then, and then it just flops out right oh, or yeah. even worse is like you're like oh okay i i got smart so i'm gonna bring my dell laptop charger that has the ground pin in so so now it's got the two prongs and then the ground prong to like really hold it in there and it's not going anywhere but there's no power, right? And, and I'm like, how did they spend however many million dollars? Isn't even like hundreds of millions of dollars on, a, on an airplane? Yeah. Uh, how much, does well, that, so how much do you things. think of Boeing 777 costs, right? Oh, uh, I'm fractions not, of I'm a million. Look it up right which is, yeah. So yeah, there's a couple right? problems there. First, for the first problem, get uh, the extension cable. Right. Yeah. So now you don't have the brick mm -hmm. plugged into the port. You have the extension cable, which sits and the brick sits comfortably yeah. on the ground. But you're right about that second problem. I um, it's in there and I there's still those, no power. No power. Yeah. And so you're drawing more power. I know this is going to sound ridiculous. There's a limiter. I think planes are only legally allowed to give you a certain amount of wattage. And yeah, um, it's limited from like uh, it depends on the model of the aircraft and also who is in the chairs next to you and if they're using power it's like 90 80 70 watts sometimes right something like that yeah you know, those, so, those macbook I, chargers are pretty beefy sometimes yeah well yeah and and i i think there, there's a whole thing about like uh, when they announced the m1s uh, a few years ago are you using a mac um it's a, you know it, it could be anything right like sometimes it's right. just my phone charger right? okay oh your phone now that shouldn't be a problem yeah I was going to say, yeah, had, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but try turning down your screen brightness or like there's literally, it's, yeah. it's, it's that fragile. I've had the, like, obviously you're not going to be plugging a hairdryer into an airline outlet, right? Because uh, they do a bunch of load shedding. Um, that would be funny though, wouldn't it? Yeah, like the most annoying guy ever. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would You suck. know, they, they have that, battery that powered hair dryers. They, they have battery powered hair dryers. You but, could charge but, your hair dryer. But who would be the person to whip it? Like I'm the. Thank God I have no hair. Like it's gone. But but who? What? What? You know. They say that you shouldn't like, be on a phone call, right? Like you shouldn't be just like talking because that's rude. Yeah. You know. So the flight I mean, attendant would come and, and tell you to stop. But I mean, like no. I've got a, 
you know, I just got my hair cut. I want to keep it nice, right? Just kind of, yeah, you got to use your hair dryer in the window seat. <laughs> that would, you'd get, you would get mentioned on that uh, passenger shaming Instagram. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like I could make local news, you know, if, okay. uh, if I pulled that. That's hair it. Dryer. They, they passenger shame the people who uh, wear socks on the plane. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's one thing if you put your foot on the armrest of the person in front of you, like if you're just stretching mm-hmm. out and you're putting Part your foot Nelson. there. No, no, no. That's, yeah. there's not, that's not okay in, in any yeah. jurisdiction. That, that's a problem, right? But if I, 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 I think I dis- disagree with the idea that uh, me taking off my shoes, as long as I'm not like stinky for a brief, it's like a I mean, 10 hour, I've done 15 I, hour flights. I'm like going to take my shoe slippers, off. Slippers yeah. is a good play, right? You know, Great like play. that's a service to everybody, right? Like just get rid of the whole shoe sweat situation, right? Yeah. It's that's, disgusting. Exactly. And don't yeah. sweat on the plane because, you know, I always bring a spare pair of undergarments and uh, whatever just because, you know, you don't know if somebody's going to spill coffee on you. You know, you don't want that. That's not good. Um, okay. Well, we, we know what I'm going to do on a plane. We know what you're going to do on a plane, which is not use your computer because you have no power. Uh, but but mm-hmm. but who are you? Who, uh, oh, yeah. Hi, audience. friends. I guess if I haven't been on Josh's show in a second here, um, but yeah. yeah, my name's Lee Papili. I, I come from the land of containers uh, and anybody who might be telling you that you should be using Kubernetes. Uh, I know some of those people. Uh, they're my friends. Most of them. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I used to work on the Flux project quite frequently. Uh, and so it helped You're build Flux too. You're not anymore? Um, no, just a uh, reduced frequency maybe. And uh, also I'm going to need to be looking at uh, the making this new contribution. We can talk a little bit more about this idea that I have uh, for Flux. Uh, I've got a, a new feature that I want to propose uh, a, a request for change, basically. Okay. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that would be some pretty serious engineering commitments back to the project as well. You uh, right now, I am going to be. Uh, I'm also working on a proposal with a couple of other smart folks in on the Kubernetes project in the auth uh, authorization space. So, but, yeah. Nice. Anyway, I'm an I'm an engineer. I'm a developer advocate. Uh, I'm a speaker, and I like talking about nerdy stuff with with smart folks like Josh over here. <laughs> well, it, yeah. some other Josh. Uh, I am super glad you're here. And actually, I was going to ask you, I just had uh, our, our our friend and colleague, uh, Whitney, on the show just a few hours ago or minutes ago or something. Uh, and uh, yeah, we Whitney's did a, one of my favorite uh, people. She's one of, yeah, she's everybody's, one of everybody's favorite people. She's, 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 uh, she's what you want when you think about uh, uh, like the future. You know, I want more people that do, that do what she not not I mean not just the the light board but everything you know just just yeah, the creative you know, organized smart and dedicated I've yeah. bouldered with Whitney a few times and that's a great time yeah so, you what yeah. I've, I've uh, you, you know like spent some time in the climbing gym uh, with uh, Whitney as well oh, she uh, boulders so regularly yeah. yeah oh wow that's so cool um uh so. Uh, we were we just did, we covered I don't know we talked about a, a smorgas a veritable smorgasbord of like things that developers should probably know about from the uh, if you could like this one secret trick you know this one little trick mm-hmm. if you could uh, mm-hmm. unveil some YAML and some hope 
and give it to a developer stuck in the Java world. And so we, we talked about that. I, I'd love to get your offering uh, in that vein. And then also I'd love to talk about this Argo stuff because Flux, not Argo. We talked about Argo for a brief second. That was a different uh, yeah. conversation. Let's talk about mm-hmm. the Flux contribution. Uh, you're beautiful project. About. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you're asking uh, what's one neat trick uh, that yeah, you developer could benefit from? Yeah, you're, you're like if I had to do a clickbaity YouTube video and uh, I could mm-hmm. get like you're you're like uh, Yamal Moses. You're coming on coming down from the mountain. You've got a secret <laughs> yeah. to share from on high. Like like what what are you going to tell people, you know? What's the one thing that we uh, we uh, cave dwellers should should know that will drastically improve our life when doing, dealing with production? You know, Pauline uh, Narvas from um, Gitpod, right? She does I do not uh, know. I all like of to. developer experience at Gitpod. And uh, she was asking on Twitter, uh, or at least the artist formerly named is, named is Twitter, um, <laughs> what is your favorite CLI tool? Right? Um, and I, you asked me, gosh, like, what is one neat trick that every developer can benefit from? And immediately I reach back into what feels like eons of pain, but in reality, just like a short number of years of you know, actual engineering time, right? And and a lot of the pain, like, came from the problems and the complexity of the systems that I got to work on, right? And with it, but then the joy came from solving problems elegantly or maybe in a fun, hacky way with all of these people that I really respected. And the right. channel of the joy was often a, a funky bash one-liner, or a really well-written bash script, uh, or a well-configured ZSH shell that gave me proper coloring output and uh, uh, white yeah. space inside of, you know, in between the forsaken outputs of my commands, but just I like a little bit of like a new line in between everything that I ever did, right? Or yeah. like the ability to see my Git branch and then the status of whether or not it was dirty or if I needed to push it or if I had changes that I needed to pull down, like there was an arrow up or an arrow down. And I think that for every developer, that the command line uh, is an essential superpower, you know? And maybe yes. we can get to a world right, where people don't need to be spending time in the terminal. Maybe we can make better platforms, maybe with things like Backstage, like so much more information is going to be presented to people in a well-designed graphical interface that gives them context about the performance of their application and what version they're running and the status of the fleet and how changes have rolled out. Maybe that's a future that we can imagine, right? But the future that I live in and the past that I have solved problems and pain through is certainly a world of text-based programs that are that are crafted in editors that are managed yep. by a text-based version con- control system and that use tooling that where the lowest con- common denominator is the terminal emulator and i think that if you can spend a little bit of time to make keyboard shortcuts work for skipping words and going to the beginning and the end of line as you're authoring commands. And if you can spend a little bit of time learning about how to pipe and filter uh, and, and manipulate text with grep and set, and if you spend a little bit of time like adding color to your scripts, learning ANSI color codes, like they, these technologies are ancient, but they're unfortunately more relevant today to the developer experience than ever before. And, um, and uh, that, that's wow. what I immediately feel for. Uh, is that's a get great 
freaking really answer. good with the command line. Um, like, it's just it's there all the time. Like, oh, I can I can feel you know the fun thing about the command line tool is it's like What's it's that? like playing with toys because <laughs> the the Unix philosophy gives you all of just these like single purpose tools that you get to combine together. And uh, right. one of my favorite toys is this tool called Bat, right? And so like the the exciting thing about programming and tools, right? Is like, there's always kind of something new coming along that sort of does everything that we're used to. It's literally a tool solving the exact same problem that we've already had tools that solve it for, but then it right. does it just a little bit better, right? And so we all know yeah. Cat. Right, C A T cat. Yes. Right. You want to you want to cat yeah. out a file. You want to you want to well, yeah, do like move some some streams, you know, and like move them around, right? Yeah. Um, and that does the same thing, but instead of but, being written in C, it's written in Rust, and it handles better. a bunch of different character streams, and it can detect uh, the language of the file extension that you're working with, and then output something that's syntax highlighted. Uh, or it's got a bunch of really friendly command line flags that will add line numbers, you know, to your output so that you know that you're on the 97th line of this uh, CSV file that you just crept through and then did some set and aux to. And then you could, you know, cat out some uh, YAML files, but instead of catting it out, you bat it out and then you pass it through dash L YAML. And then now all of your YAML is not this incomprehensible block of text. It's nicely syntax highlighted. And and so you know your your ungodly kind of you know kubectl one liner that lets you find you know a deployment in this namespace that has this particular label selector because you're trying you know you're you're feeling pain right like the system is complicated yeah. and and you're you're trying to figure out like what version of uh you know this particular microservice you deploy to production and you're looking to get the container name so that you can then go and do another command. Right? And the last thing that you want in this moment is for your tools right. to feel like they suck. And it's such a beautiful thing when okay. you've set up your bash PS1 or your ZS, maybe you've upgraded to ZSH or something more modern, right? That oh, like, is giving you the right information. It's telling you the cluster that yeah. you're in. It's, it's nicely separated from the output of your other commands. Me personally, I love color in my terminal as long as it's the appropriate amount and it's actually meaningful, semantic. Mm -hmm. And then well, you, you, you know, like catted out the, the deployment information. Now it's also syntax highlighted and you can filter it down maybe with some YTT or YQ stuff, you know, and you're like, oh, I just have this one little thing. That was the one thing I was looking for. And I'm not sifting through and through my buffer and like suffering. In, in these seas oh, of, of characters, right? To add some right. semantic meaning to the terminal. I love that. That is a great oh, That's a great tool. inspired answer. Are you an uh, Oh My Z Shell rocker? I, I don't use um, Oh My Z Shell. Uh, I use Prezto. P-R-E-Z-T-O. Okay. Yeah, uh, which right. is a really awesome. no-brains kind of setup. You just you clone the repo, you run a thing, and you put it in your ZSHRC, and, and it, it runs great. I love Presto. Uh, in the programming Java world and in Ruby and Python and uh, others, I suppose, there's a something, something ENV solution, right? So uh, mm -hmm. SDK man in Java, uh, RBNV, Py, uh, pipenv, you know, uh, pip and then uh, 
env in the Python world, you know, et cetera. Is there something that you, mm-hmm. uh, in the Kubernetes and uh, that ecosystem, is there like a, a tool you use to version, to manage con- con- many contemporaneous versions of tools? Like in the Java world, it's very common. I need to have Java 17 and 21. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so if I, if I need to roll back to like an older version of the, you know, Helm command line tool or uh, yeah. customize it's just one for this that's project. Like very version sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, um, outside of maybe, you know, having more of a Docker container-based strategy for development, um, right. then uh, I I think for, for infrastructure-y people who are constantly gluing things together that are very disparate from each other and not designed to necessarily work together, like you're always reaching for like the lowest common denominator stuff. Um, right. I, I end up writing a lot of make files and using a lot of... Um, uh, env rc, uh, which is yes, what is the, let's go. Yeah, durend. Yeah, durend oh, so is, is so really good. fantastic. Perfect answer. Right, and it, and it allows you to switch uh, contexts. Um, now, as far as actually switching the versions of like command line tools and and things like that, I would probably, if I could, I would reach for a Docker container. Or if I didn't want sure. to invite the pain of containers into my life. Um, one thing that is kind of useful is if you use VenDIR vendor from the Carvel yeah. project, which is an open source set of Unix C cloud uh, cloud right. native tools, which I highly recommend if you are a cloud native practitioner and you feel pain, just go to Carvel.dev right now, like C-A-R-V-E-L dot dev. Um, there are five command line tools and two Kubernetes controllers that solve just painful bits of the cloud native mess, right? It's not a whole cool. platform. It's not like a full solution that's telling you to how to do your entire job. It's just like a, hey, do you feel pain? Well, we have a Unixy tool that solves that one problem. And um, if your problem is, gosh, I really wish that I could get a versioned single, you know, statically linked Go binary. Um, well, you could pull that from the GitHub release of the project that distributes that binary for your architecture. And you could use a tool called Vendor. You write one YAML file and say Vendor Sync, and now it pulls it into your project's root, you know? Oh, but is that uh, only for so Go or is it like for? Uh, no, I mean, it would it would work for anything that would be like a statically linked binary. So like a Rust binary uh, would come uh-huh. out too. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the cloud native t- tool space, right? Like, uh, like the Helm command line tool, Customize, um, CTL, yeah. like all of those things that you that you would probably really commonly used to interface with the cluster or a container registry or something like that. Um, right. All of the Carvel tools themselves, they're usually written in like Go or Rust or something, and you can just download a binary. Um, and so vendor yes. is actually appropriate uh, to go and grab that file just as much as it would be appropriate to grab a YAML file uh, or an internal folder of a, you know, a Go software project or something which is usually something that would be criminal for you to use that code. But like, but you have, you have a reason for your crimes, right? So vendor is not going to get in your way. You can just go and use it and do all of the evil things that you want. Right. This is so cool. <laughs> I gotta, I really gotta, I, so we're, we're, this is uh, one of those things that the VMware slash uh, Tanzu slash you know, yeah. Broadcom. We're contributors to this stuff, aren't we? Or am I, yeah, the Tanzu team is heavily invested in the Carvel project. Uh, and yeah. a lot of our products actually leverage Carvel extensively. 
um, cool. this is open source. You can just kind use of it. like a open source kind of almost a you know like when you think of like the GNU tools, right? Like the GNU yeah. tools have like cat grep set awk right. etc. Right? Yeah, Carvel is like the Carvel tools. It's the cloud native equivalent of that. And oh, um, wow. they're they're very Unixy tools, you know, that just solve only only their domain of problem. They're not trying to combine everything into a, a whole workflow. If you happen to use a lot of the Carvel tools together, you'll see the workflow emerges. Mm -hmm. uh, but like everybody has problems like pinning um, pinning container image tags to digests. Nobody likes right. to do that because it doesn't feel like a human thing to do. Well, right. image uh, or sorry, um, uh, wow, I'm blanking for a second. It's not image package that I was thinking of. There's a Carvel tool. That's it's K. K build. Wow. No. KBLD. Sorry, one second. No, let, let me just let me just look at the, is it the list. Of image pack. Kidge. It's it is it is K build that I was thinking of. You're right. Yeah. Oh, okay. K build is really good at, at resolving image tags, right? And cool. it doesn't matter what you do, like you don't have to be using Kubernetes. You could be using Docker Swarm. You could be using GitHub Actions, which have are, is very container native. You could be in right. Circle CI. You could be deploying container images uh, to some sort of Lambda function based thing, right? The uh, the fact is, like you are working with container image tags if you are a DevOpsy infrastructure you have build to. engineering yeah, yeah. kind of person, right? And chances are, the easiest and most human readable thing for you to do is to use the image tags. But image tags are mutable. It's a yeah. lie, right? It's like a it's like a tomorrow that might actually reference a completely different artifact, right? right. And so you well, should like probably be pointer, right? the image tag. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like everyone sensibly is like, no, I'm not going to use the latest tag, like unless you're doing some quick hack. But most people would see a Semver tag like version 3.1, right? And they would use it. Uh, but but 3.1 could be 3.1.3 tomorrow and then 3.1.4 the next day, you know, which right. maybe you want you that behavior that. or maybe you don't want artifacts to be floating around and you actually want to pin it. Right. So you would have to go that. and look up the image digest, you know, the actual content addressable digest that can right. only ever exist for this image, right? And like use that in your deployment pipeline in your Circle CI, you know, it's, especially we're talking about building software, like yeah. pin the thing that builds your software, you know, so it doesn't float on and then now you have a supply chain vulnerability, right? Right. And so this is a universal problem. You probably just need one really sharp tool in your tool set that just resolves image tags and leaves you a comment or an annotation that tells you, Wait, hey, I resolved this tag at this time. You know, and Wait, now so you've got- is the input a Docker image tag and then you just get a digest out or like, how do you use it? You would it? probably, you would give Kbuild a, a YAML file that has oh. the manifest that has the container image being used in it. Um, and if you're using something more esoteric, you can tell Kbuild how uh, to get to that image. It has some heuristic things. Like if it sees an image field, it's going to assume that that's probably something of the proper format. It's probably going to it's going to try to parse it, uh, and then by default, it'll actually try to annotate it. Um, if it sees that it has an object meta in there, it'll be like, yeah, let me give you a Kubernetes style annotation that tells you like I resolved this tag at this time, uh, and it became this, you know. Um, oh, and so now but, it's uh, imprinted in the file that you were analyzing. That's exactly. Cool. Yeah, because that's a huge mess, right? It's like um, you, you get to the point where you're like, okay, 
I'm going to pin all of my tags. And now operationally, nothing is going to float around. But then a human mm -hmm. gets in there and they're, and they're looking at this deployment YAML file and they're like, what is this SHA-256 thing that's right. like a bunch of characters long? Like what version of the software is that? And now they're like reading the logs, like hoping that the software printed the version of what it's supposed okay. to be. And, and it just feels like we're in 1990. Right, we're yeah. bringing web server logs to figure out what the software is doing, instead of like actually declaring what our intent was. And so the problem is that, like, container image tags are not human readable. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it would be really great if you know we left some breadcrumbs in there, right? We've got to feed the machine what it needs to right. do the immutable behavior, but then we have to also annotate or comment or do something inside of the deployment configuration so that people can then know what the computer was dealing oh, with. So, wait, so the yeah. annotation that gets left behind is the image name and then the digest is what specifies yeah, the, 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 the tag okay. and when it resolved. Yeah, right. So you're like, okay. hey, like at this time when we made this configuration, this was version 3.1 and it resolved to this container image. Right. And, so and the then now you can actually go and you can see, yeah, but the, you can the, see that, the that image saw, like maps to the tag. So the image attribute that's left in the manifest after you're done is the SHA and there's an annotation yes. specifying the human readable thing. Okay. That's, that's so good. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. I have right. that problem. And so, and then, oh. Now it's just like, it's, it's part of the way that you use your tools just leaves you the breadcrumbs that serve you as a person. And I mean, half of the reason I use customize is to plug in a version, yeah. you know, like that exactly. goes away now. I don't yeah. need it. Customize yeah, is like and, a way of life. At the end of the day, like text editing. We're, we're layering all of our tools together, right? So like, that's a great point that you made there is you're like, well, I use customize to solve a lot of these configuration problems, right? No, no, just that and one then, version changing. Oh, it's so annoying. Yeah. Like uh -huh. customize creates more pain than it solves, but it gives me a way to like, <laughs> you know, I, I could just do said, like you mentioned earlier, said and knock, you know, like I could just yeah. find the thing and replace it in the manifest. Like, ah, just. Yeah, that, that the stuff. fun thing about that is it's like a, it, it's like the easier and simpler thing is the thing that you've been doing for so long. But yeah. then it also invites you into like a class of kind of danger, right? Just like a like sad and an awk and they're not they're not structure aware, right? Like the nope. you know, something like YQ would be a little bit safer. Uh, and then, this is uh, more carvel YTT. stuff. Ah. YTT is the Carvel answer. YQ, um, right. I, I don't actually there's there's several renditions of the YQ project that you can go find. And um I think most infrastructure people have at, have touched YQ at some point, but I think a lot of people don't know about YTT, which tell. is another you know way to structurally edit. Yeah, it's like the it's like the sed and awk and grep, uh, and also like a full programming language that you need, except it's it's YAML specific, right? So uh, YTT does something really smart. You know, I think uh, a lot of people um, in the configuration space. And they're like, I need some sort of template. And so people have worked with right. Ruby templates. They've worked with Jinja. And Ruby templates and Jinja feel really similar to Go templates, right? right. They're all this, this uh, you give it a text-based program. It sort of looks like you're probably in the configuration space, which means you're working with JSON or YAML or you know maybe some JavaScript files or something structured. And so... Right. You've got this templating language with bits of structured bits in there. And then it's probably a functional programming language that can then output, you know, hopefully something structured, but really the template language can produce any text file. 
right? right and there exactly. are a lot of text files that are not valid structures, right? But it's really flexible because you can make INI files, you can make JSON, you can make mm -hmm. YAML and whatever, right? So then you have a bunch of these hermetic languages like JSONet and SkyConfig uh, and, um, you know, what are some other... Uh, there, there's a JSONet project-based project that does like a... Um, like Tonka, I think is what it's called, um, which used to be called Ksenet. It's a Kubernetes-specific version of JSONet, right? Yeah. Um, it's called Tonka. And um, Customize is sort of in this space, but then it, it, it doesn't try to be a full programming language, but, um, but it solves a similar problem space, which is like, a, hey, we only want to output structured things, right? Right. Like, customize cannot produce an INI file. It only produces specifically Kubernetes, Kubernetes YAML files. Right. right? Like, yeah. know, like Customize only knows how to work on Kubernetes objects. Uh, something like JSONet, it like, you could, you could output any JSON, right? And so it's not Kubernetes specific, but then we can like find projects and libraries and kind of decorate JSONet into a, a configuration specific language, right? So right. YTT is a YAML specific language, which if you have YAML problems, oh, uh, and I know I have YAML problems. 99 then, of them. Then uh, YTT is, is its aim is to try to be an approachable, like learnable, flexible YAML programming language. And the way that it does that is it embeds a, a language that feels like Python into comments yeah. of YAML. That sounds horrific. And Just the terrible. result is scaring me. Yeah, it, it uh, sounds horrific. But now imagine. Uh, actually, it doesn't look so bad. It looks okay. You are an infrastructure person or a sysadmin. Um, yeah. Or, you know, like some, some sort of uh, build engineer, a dev team lead. And yeah. you have discovered that the infrastructure thing that you didn't make, that you've been depending on for two years, is broken, right? Or you need to change it, or you have to make another service, right? Somehow, this wasn't your problem anymore. You didn't even know that it existed, maybe. And right. like, you've just been depending on it. And there is this magical YAML file in your repository with a tool chain that you've never heard of. And it's talking to a service that you just learned about today. And you yeah. read this YAML file, right? And immediately, we are not in a fun place, right? No, never, never. Because we, there could be all kinds of complexity here that we, we have no idea what we're about to unearth. We're using an internal platform. We're like on custom infrastructure, all kinds of stuff. And this YAML file has a comment that says, that for everything in this collection, we're going to make a little bit of a loop. And then there's one YAML node in a list. Right. And if that's the first time that you've ever seen that, it looks a little bit like Python, but it also yeah. just looks like a small YAML file. And you're like, oh, I'm something processes this and then actually turns this one item into a list of 10 items. Is that this bit and right it says here? that it's reading from this values file, and there's this value. Yeah, exactly. You've pulled up YTT's um, uh, interactive playground here. Yeah, yeah, and, and it looks really good. Fun. So yeah, so there's a four. Yeah, so there's this like for loop right here, right? Yeah. yeah so like, uh, yeah, just this this first item right here, li lines five to eight, right? So we define an array, and then we comment the list item that says. For every uh, J in the range <laughs> zero through four, 
there's going to be an item uh, that has the J in it, right? So right. it's item, and then we enter a comment, and then at sign, and then J. Like, now we're going to be looping, and you can imagine then in your head, even before you cheat and look at the right side, that this is going to be an array with four wow. list nodes, each with a map inside of it that says item, and then there's going to be the J, which is going to go from zero uh, through three, right? Because that's the range, zero to four, and that's right. how Pythonic ranges work. Uh, and, and underneath, this is not actually Python. It's a hermetic language called Starlark. Um, and it, it all runs inside of a single Go binary, which means you don't have to have a crazy tool chain or anything uh, on your computer. That's very you just download one binary, and you can use this tool. Um, and so you can see, like, on the right, it outputs, you know, that you get a list. And that if you... Were a person in that space, right? And you've just inherited this problem and you were expecting to see a 50 line YAML file, but now you see a 10 line YAML file and it has a loop in it. And you're like, ooh, okay. Yeah. I, I think I could, I could figure this out. I you know? And then two maps down, it's like getting values from somewhere else. And this yeah. is something that YAML doesn't do, right? It's part of where a lot of YAML problems come from is the configuration it's meant to be very static, and so it just proliferates. Every system wants to know what your domain is. Everything. Right. Like, this is the most common infrastructure engineering, like, build engineering pain is, like, I want to set my domain, and my app needs to know about it, and my cluster needs to know about it, and my, um, my edge, you know, kind of a DDoS protection provider needs to know about it. And so I got to configure this one domain name in 20 places, right? <laughs> gosh, it would be really nice if I could define a values file and output my 20 YAML files and reference yep. that domain so that I can just change it in one place, right? I mean, and this is especially valuable for like your typical, even within the same, because uh, I, I put yeah. a bunch, if I have a, a small app, I'll just put a bunch of resources in the same file and you've got the same mm -hmm. logical thing, like uh, the name, for example, of the resource. It's just foo dash uh, certificate, foo dash uh mm -hmm. service foo dash you know ingress and it mm -hmm. over and over and over you know just constantly referencing the same thing over and over now mm -hmm. um ytt has kind of one more treat up its shoulder right and so we can see like oh, okay it feels like a programming language it has conditionals it's got flow control it has loops um you know you can start to compose things it's got you know all the normal programming language things libraries modules ways to source data ways to do type validation and checking like it's a strongly typed language in a world of YAML where types are constantly floating around on you, right? Uh -huh. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, uh, that image tag is never going to magically convert from like a, a string to a number because you ended up with a commit hash that was only numbers, right? Like a, right. That, uh, that's something that will happen to you in YAML. That's never going to happen to you in a YTT program where you're expect, expecting it. Oh, that's so cool. But uh, this is great. one more thing. One more thing. Okay. You know that that feel good thing about things like customize, and yeah. and uh, if I go if I actually reach further back, um, customize idea of, of patching is not new, right? Um, I yeah. used to be a very avid puppeteer, um, so I cool. worked yeah. puppet control repos, yeah. right? For you know yeah. lots of VMs in a data center, and puppet. I pull the strings around here. That's my one of my favorite T-shirts. What? Hira is is this like deep merging algorithm that like takes C's of YAML and like based off of 
the topology of your data center, it'll figure out what the value or, or the configuration values are for this machine versus this machine, right? Yeah. And so it does this, all of this merging based off of a bunch of conditional things. Um, customize is kind of like Hira, where you're like, hey, when I, when I go to this environment, I want to apply these patches. And when I'm on a developer laptop, I'm going to apply these lap patches. Right. right. Now I've got 20 clusters, you know, and five of those clusters have special patches or something. Right. Uh, you follow, like this is probably how you use customize, right? Because you're just changing versions. And um, yeah, yeah. Not, I don't really have giant different sets of config. I just have one with a few extra mm -hmm. values here and there. Yeah. And then you just patch it. Yeah. So <clears throat> YTT is really good at giving you tools to yeah. patch things however you want. Like, I would like to select some documents in the whole sea of documents that I'm working on in my YTT program. And based yeah. off of whatever criteria I want, I can write a function, I can match some field names, I can you know, match an object by a subset. Then once I find all of those objects, I would like to apply these keys and de-purge them, or I want to find these keys and remove them, or I want to update some stuff. And right. so it doesn't happen magically like in Customize. Um, but it but it gives you the the ability to provide your intention and like actually slice and dice things in really non-trivial ways, uh, and that lets you build powerful platforms. So that's one of the reasons why I'm excited about tools like YTT. Single so binary. To, to add. I, I I dig it. I'm gonna uh, I've got myself some time ahead of me. Uh, it's the holidays. I'm gonna finally take the plunge and uh, and learn some Carvel. Um, that's part one. You just mentioned powerful platforms. Uh, um, a couple of thoughts, and I'm trying to be mindful of your time here because we've long since exceeded uh, whatever time I stipulated. But backstage, yes or no? Like, what, what's your developer portals? What does that future look like? You mentioned that earlier. Hopefully, mm -hmm. that'll one be it'll be the place we all converge or whatever. But what's the uh, how, what's I the state of like, in your that community? excites me about a pessimist? pessimistic platform builder when I see things like Backstage is I see tools that are primarily trying to solve a social problem uh, being built in a communal way. Right. So like before in 2005 and in, and in 2011, if you could get into the same room as like the DevOps people at Netflix, and you could listen to them talk about the way that they do a rolling upgrade. This right. was like such valuable information because you could only hear them talk about it. Like it was yeah. one of the places in the industry where somebody was disrupting an entire ecosystem and, and frankly, economically, like changing the whole landscape. And right. they're saying, hey, culturally, we do engineering differently. We behave differently. We ship smaller things more frequently and we test them in this really novel way because we have some sophistication in the way that we do our software deployments. Well, you can imagine, right, that's what that's what leads to something like Spinnaker, right, which is like this, the adoption of a tool that codifies these this way of working. But right. you have to somehow get not just the tool with the way of working, but also all of the people that use that tool and all the people who are the stakeholders of the, of the change in production and the people who make the software and the people who decide what the business goals are and say that it's okay to spend money on you know working this way. You have to get everybody to agree that 
we're habitually going to do things in a way that this tool can allow us to work together. And right. habits are like the hardest thing to change. Right. So I look at backstage, right? And I look at like being able to take plugins uh, yeah. and, and expose a, a graphical experience to technical people and non-technical people working together to ship value with software that changes the way our world works. And the only reason I can get excited about that is it's not the tool that we're advocating for, but we are codifying ways for people to change their habits. And, uh, and that's, that's pretty next level. You know? <laughs> that is a perfect answer. That's awesome. I, I'm actually sad we're not ending right now because this would be like a great place to stop. Uh, that would be the, the, the cherry on the milkshake. But okay, I've still got one more. Oh, that's a great answer because that's you're right. That it, it is. It, I, th I was talking to Whitney about it, and I I, I said, and to my mind, backstage gives you a way to expose the as a service ification mm -hmm. of your organization's habits or you know rituals. So you know your DBA stands up a database like this. Well. It, as a service, it yeah. So many things are very yeah. ritual. Ritual is yeah. a great word for that, right? Um, so it's like you must dance in a certain way so that the rain will come, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, please, please fill out this spreadsheet and send it to the yeah. security team. Oh, I think it's still ticket backstage, oh. right? Like it, it feels like like you could paint a future where yeah. maybe you can click a button in that, that actually does the automated action. And then you still have to spend the send the spreadsheet in an email, you know, to satisfy right. somebody's oh. ticket quota. But at least you know that it got done correctly because a machine did you, it. You hope. Yeah, well, it is, <laughs> well, there's a convention, hopefully guardrails. Um, okay, part two. The I, love the, I love the revulsion of pain that I, that, I, that I got from you when I said to email a spreadsheet. I, right. it just, like it, it's I've almost like there. you've done something like that before. I, I did. There. I committed yes. war crimes. I, I was uh, at a at a bank that shall remain nameless, where mm -hmm. they were using mm -hmm. ClearCase and ClearQuest, and mm -hmm. they had SharePoint. And so somebody had the brilliant idea because ClearCase and ClearQuest was so utterly terrible uh, that instead of managing and tracking issues and work there, they would have a SharePoint Excel spreadsheet, which people used uh -huh. instead. That then, then, then somebody every week had to manually copy over to ClearCase and ClearQuest just to satisfy mm -hmm. that that was the process and it was being used. It was oh, just cringe. Um, yeah. Okay, next thing, yeah, the guard. I think of guardrails as being super good for. Uh, I want to scale out the uh, the organization, and uh, the only way to do that is with consistency, right? And to that end, we talk a lot about uh, GitOps, obviously. And you and I have had this conversation before. We're not going to retread that wonderful conversation. There's an existing discussion you can all listen to uh with lee here on this very show this very not this channel i think it was on the podcast um yeah the beautiful podcast but, uh, yeah and this will go on the beautiful podcast thing. as well but we're starting on the youtube channel you know double dipping into the content bucket so to speak um but uh, okay so there's the you did mention there's a new feature on which you'd like to work and uh, you know briefly what is and again being mindful of your time and your commitments here what no. is get off no. and uh, and uh, what is this new feature uh, on which you'd like to work. Yeah. So what is, what is GitOps? Um, or, GitOps is a again, way for people to communally participate with each other, to communally talk about change and version it and, and agree about it uh, and be confident about it before shipping that 
change into a distributed system. I think that right. like GitOps to me, you'll find a lot of other definitions of it. And if you actually go to the open uh, GitOps project website, you'll actually see four pieces of the technical definition of what a GitOps tool set should do for you, right? Like it's right. You know, pull-based workflows, active reconciliation, all these good things, right? But, but the social effect of doing GitOps is that we are working on hard problems in a distributed computing landscape and that we need a communal way to know what the actual intention of, of what our software, of what our production environment should look like, right? And doing things in the GitOps way makes sure that we are not just imperatively iterating on the computer in a way without, without considering other people's needs, right? And so we, we take our place of collaboration, our, our collaboration tools, uh, our platforms, whether they be like things like GitLab or Bitbucket or GitHub, um, and we glue that to the front of the configuration system of our distributed computer. That is what GitOps is. Um, now, I helped work a lot on Flux 2, uh, which right. Flux is a, is a toolkit of controllers and components that give you a great GitOps experience if you, as a team, can adopt the proper habits. Uh, and one of the things that I want to look at adding to Flux and, and, um, and talking with the community and the maintainers about, and then potentially doing a bunch of engineering work to make happen, uh, is to make Flux a little bit smarter about what's happening in your image registry or your, your OCI repository that, that holds your container artifacts and has them tagged at different versions with all the digests and all that. Yeah. Um, Flux already has ways to get state about what's happening in the image registry. The hard part right now is in a very big environment where you have lots of clusters, oftentimes when you push an artifact, there is replication lag to your local repository. And because configuration changes, uh, like say the Kubernetes manifests that run your deployments are so much smaller than container images, like right. if you're working with multi-gigabyte container images, you could imagine that any sort of number of failures uh, or even just completely normal network behavior might make that container image show up 10 minutes, two hours, four days late to the place where it needs to be consumed, right? Yeah. But, but the configuration that actually wants to use that thing could be valid and ship to the cluster that needs it very quickly, right? Seconds. So it's and not going to find it when it tries to pull it tries to pull it down so on the other side. Giving Flux some smarts to actually have a checklist of things to consider before yeah. it actually rolls out a configure change a configuration change at all. A sort of pre-flight checklist or feature gate oh. um, is a really powerful idea and it's actually an idea for like which there's already an rfc but it, yeah it's like a health check but instead of a health check which happens kind of after afterwards the fact, it's actually before. a pre-flight check right it's a change oh, oh, oh. oh that's actually right so an example of it, and, and i was actually this this came from from working with a customer who has a bunch of edge edge stuff i was speaking with the architect and saying hey how do we deal with this replication lag thing because they only want to replicate you know uh you know during off hours right like 
the, they don't want to change the store during the daytime right. anyway, right? But like, you know, after 6.30 or after, you know, 9.45 p.m., you know, the gates open and and the OCI repository can start pulling things down. But of course, like we want the GitOps work reconciliation to be happening all the time. And, you know, the people who publish artifacts could be different from the people who are actually making the changes and, you know, big organization, big global customer kind of stuff. And I'm like, gosh, right. you know, that's, uh, and I and I recommended some some workflows outside of Flux to deal with this problem. This is actually a common thing that people working with Flux at scale run into. Um, and people want gates for all sorts of reasons, right? They want to tie to Jira right. tickets. They want to, you know, they want somebody to put a check mark on a change approval, you know, before uh, something rolls out. So we could use these change gates for all kinds of stuff. Uh, but but I came to this generic API idea because of replication lag. Uh, and yeah, we already have amazing. other controllers and yeah. So it, basically it's, it's change gates. Um, that's a, I was speaking with the flux team at KubeCon and we were kind of drawing it up and this would be kind of a, a version two RFC, you know, of, of something that's already been proposed with a very different API shape. So that's I, so, uh, so good. That's so good. Yeah. That would be like, I, and I like the idea that you have a chance to like, uh, don't just make it like a, fixed set of rules make it so i can plug in my own custom checks like a exactly like so the way the the api change that i kind of have in my head is um we just need to do two things one is we take the health checks api which you can already plug any object into right and then we and have an auto health check feature that like kind of determines maybe if you wanted a full list of every object and you wanted to case status check it you know then yeah. you can turn on this flag on flux and it'll it'll just go and do that for this particular reconciliation um, we're going to take that API and just put it at the top, right? And then we'll provide an auto feature that says, hey, like, you know, actually get all of the container images that you are trying to release. And if they changed from the previous manifest, then make sure that they're already in the registry before you roll this out, right? Um, and so, it, it, you know, there's a Boolean that you can turn it on, but there's also the generic API where you can put, you know, Jira ticket reflector, you know, and like, it's going to go and check the status of that thing. Right. And then yeah. if you want like change approval reflector, you know, or, or like a, you know, change approval CRD or something like you can write your own <laughs> controller, you can use some other thing, you can make the status of a Jenkins job or a Tekton, you know, or a pipe CD job, you know, with some CRD status, like block your flux release, like anything that you want, you just pipe it to the status object of a, you know, something that's case status compliance, and that could be your change gates. So it would work for everything. Good. This makes me happy. Okay, so uh, that'll be that's a January thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm uh, sure, sure. looking at starting to write the the request for change to then talk okay. with people. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I can I, promise that okay. in January. Well, I mean, you know what? You, so it's it's not uh, it's uh, it's not Kubernetes. Like it, going back to because it moves slowly like an operating system. And earlier on, we were talking about how it's not just Kubernetes; it's Kubernetes with Carvel, just like Ginyu and Linux. It's not Linux, it's mm -hmm. Ginyu tools plus Linux. It's actually Carvel yes. plus Kubernetes, right? The, and, uh, and in the same yeah. way that operating systems like Linux uh, move rather slowly, so too does the Kubernetes, but that's okay because it gives us so much benefit yeah. when it works. The and you haven't project, shipped a- Cargo project, oh. yeah. Gatekeeper, yeah. and, you know, I mean, uh, all of these essential components, uh, you know, what's considered and, core, uh, all the things that people need, yeah. And also I just learned about one uh, cap. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like cap that. is a fun command line tool. 
uh, the, and its reconciliation logic is also a big part of CAF controller, uh, which then right, that, uh, takes which, a tool that reduces pain in your command line tool and actually also adds the value of that to a controller. Yeah, and does it. Uh -huh. in yeah, and that's kind of like a GitOpsy world thing, not as powerful as yeah. Argo and Flux, I guess. I would but, I, I would agree that CAP controller um, it's actually coming into its own a little bit. Right. And so like yeah. as a as a pessimistic person and as somebody who's also biased and has worked on all of the engineering in Flux, which is in amazing engineering, we just did a, a release of Helm controller in Flux that is essentially a re-envisioning of the entire Helm project. Any Helm user should use it. Um, that's my soapbox. Um, the <laughs> Carvel's cap controller um, is now starting to be more production proven. Right. And the Carvel team will be very happy to hear me say this. Right. And, um, and it's got its own niche and its own uh, really flexible set of, uh, or, well, it's really just one, one and a half APIs uh, that right. let you do some really powerful things using the individual Carvel tools. And then also things like Q uh, and Helm, right? Like mixing yeah. in, you know, other parts of the ecosystems to give the user the packaging power that they need. And that word packaging is the main niche that I think cap controller has over right. something like Flux or Argo. Uh, packages uh, are this idea that's very well formed in the Carvel project, uh, and it's a it's a missing part of the equation in a lot of a lot of the space. Uh, we can all learn from each other. I learned from you, yeah. my friend. Um, yeah, it's about that time. It's time for you to go back to the beach. Uh, yeah. You, you look Almost people sunset. don't realize this you actually joined me on vacation you're actually in paradise i mean hawaii mm -hmm. right for those of you just joining um uh dude dan come to san francisco but also go to hawaii lee's in a better place at the moment right he's in uh he's in he's in he's where the turtles are which yeah, is i'm calling awesome. him from honolulu over here uh, uh, on the 37th floor of a tower by uh, alamana beach park if you know see that that's the smallest world's smallest violin smallest one <laughs> just so sad for you um okay yeah. so anyway we're if you're on the it's internet because like, we have we have the window open it. over here you know and it's it's uh, uh it's a nice place right here right Such a beautiful, <laughs> and there's a beach uh, like a minute away from you just turtles um so uh, if you're so if you're on the internet okay. yeah. yeah if you're on the internet and you want to be fine i know you're not there right now because you're at the beach but if you are on the internet and you want to be found, where do people find you? Yeah, um, I think nowadays you'll see me posting a lot on LinkedIn, uh, which is sort of the pivot that a lot of DevRel people have. Um, and then um, you do find me on Twitter slash, if you want to call it X, uh, I am uh, at a, a version of my last name. It's C-A-P-I-L-E-I-G-H, Kapili. And um, yeah, just connect with me anywhere, you know, and um, uh, you'll find our, our team doing all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, I will also be in person uh, at SoCal Linux Expo uh, in mid-March. That's a good show. Pasadena. Yeah, Scale yeah. is a wonderful conference. Uh, highly recommend that if you are in the LA area or thinking of traveling back there to see family or something, go go to Scale. Just travel to it. Scale is a wonderful thing. We've just, got a Kubernetes might, Community know. Day and a DevOps Day yeah. is there. Um, doing a lot of stuff for DevOps Days Denver right now. Uh, we're going to be putting on a great show end of April. Um, so love, uh, you, love actually live, you live near, you're in Colorado roughly, right? Like, so yeah, yeah I live in Denver. Yeah. For, right for, in so for people, know, South, South Denver. 
So for people who are wondering about that violin, uh, he's going to leave the beach and then go to the slopes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I surfed oh. last Sunday, uh, and I think I'll be snowboarding next Monday. So I hate you. I hate you so much. Um, hey, buddy, thank you so much. Uh, this has been great. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And uh, yeah. bye. You put on a great show, Josh. Thank you, uh, friends, for all of the folks who, who came in. And um, yeah, let's all get better at doing uh, Cloud Native together. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.